0: There's a 104 days of summer vacation, and school comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for our generation is finding a good way to spend it. Like maybe. Building a rocket or fighting a mummy or climbing up the Eiffel Tower. Discovering something that doesn't exist or giving a monkey a shower.
1: I don't know about you. I wish my kids were like Phineas and Ferb. Far more adventurous, giving monkey showers, fighting off against Professor Doofenshmirtz, saving the tri-state area. would be far better than sitting at home and saying they're bored. Now, in defense of my kids, um, they have gone out before. In fact, it was last summer. The two oldest ones went out on a bike ride together and were riding around saying, let's play a game. How long will it take us to see another teenager? I'm not sure they actually saw one even though we know they're in the area because they all come out of the the basement like zombies when the school bus shows up tomorrow morning because tomorrow tomorrow is you know it
2: it's the most who
1: says this song's about christmas Uh, parents across be
0: good cheer. It's the most one parents
1: one across North America are cheering. Well, you know what? In some parts of the states, the kids go back in August, and I know the French schools around here. Well, they went back to school in a week or so ago, but tomorrow our kids go back. Now, I know that everyone's got to try and figure out how to get Junior out of bed in the morning when they haven't been getting up at 7 o'clock or whatever ungodly hour your kids are required to get up to be on the school bus. But this is the time of the year that parents start dreaming about around July 15th. When that that initial aura of summer vacation being wonderful, look, I'm, I'm not saying my kids are brats. No, that's not the point. But parents know what I'm talking about. You're underfoot. You're complaining, you're bored, you don't know what to do. Now you know what to do. Get up, get out the door, and go to school. Although I have to say I'm a little, I don't know, I've missed most first days of school because I'm working. So I haven't been there, but tomorrow is my oldest last first day of school. I don't think, I didn't see his first first day of school. I could see, his, you know, if I wake up, I could see his first first day of school, but he gets up at an ungodly hour. This is a difficult time for parents, difficult time for families, but it's a cheerful one. I always found that back to school time, and I felt this way even even though I was never a big fan of school when I was in it, even though I am no longer in school, I find the back to school time, this after Labor Day, return to normalcy, to be a, it just feels like a time for new beginnings. It's like Star Wars, a new hope. It's a time when anything can happen. Your school year could be better. Your work year could be better. Life could be better. And fall, fall really is the best season. So, Tomorrow is, uh, you know, we're working tonight. It's Labor Day. And if you came for the politics, stick around. We're going to have lots of that on the program tonight. Even though most of you are probably not thinking about politics, don't want to think about what Justin Trudeau's doing to the country, we're still going to talk a lot about politics. And I'll get to that in a minute. But tomorrow is the start of new beginnings, whether for you in your life or your kid's life. Tomorrow is the start of new beginnings. That is what the back-to-school season is all about. That and buying the proper number of binders and tennis balls for under the shoes and enough boxes of Kleenex and all those wonderful things that we all have to put up with. But, hey, as one mother saying on uh, social media, it's going viral, this video. Those people are taking your kids. They're taking your kids off your hands. Buy whatever's on the list. Drop me a line if uh, if you've got tips for getting uh, people ready for the first day of school. I'll share them later on in the program. Now, coming up later on in the program, just after 7.30, we're going to talk about what I said on the air last week. I thought there was going to be a big walk back from the Trudeau liberals on this small business tax change. And by late Friday, I changed my mind. I'll explain why just after 7.30. If you haven't seen my Facebook video that I posted on the weekend, uh, you can find out just after 7.30. And we'll hear from Bill Tuft, who is um, an advocate. He's an author. He's written about uh, public sector pensions and how much they cost. But the Trudeau government is trying to say that small business owners are tax cheats and they're wealthy and they make too much. It turns out when you look at what the total cost of a, a civil servant is, and I'm not picking on you guys, I know there's lots of civil servants listening, but the total cost, and this is from the parliamentary budget office, total cost of a civil servant, lot higher than lot higher than what the average small business owner makes. Average civil servant to average small business owner, huge difference. But one's being treated as if they're wealthy. And don't deserve anything. At, uh, at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to uh, Monty McNaughton, a progressive conservative MP from down London area away. He's also their economic development critic. Why? Because we've just started to get details of a multimillion-dollar grant given to Purdue. This is the pharmaceutical company that makes OxyContin. Yet we're just getting this months after a lawsuit was settled with Purdue over their marketing of OxyContin. And guess what? Back then, the bureaucrats were warning the McGuinty-turned-Win liberals, don't give these guys the money. Don't give them the money because they've got all these lawsuits coming. There's controversy. Don't do it. Uh, We will also talk about—I'll have a rant for you. We'll do uh, Facebook Live if I can get the Wi-Fi working in here. Kevin, the Wi-Fi's out again! Uh, What— what is Justin Trudeau putting on the table at NAFTA that has nothing to do with improving the trade system for Canada? Well, he wants to change American labor law. Yeah, we'll get into that. And uh, and also North Korea, Anthony Fury, who is fairly regular on the program, columnist and editor at the Toronto Sun, he had a piece on the weekend about how this H-bomb that North Korea just dropped, it is essentially – Them signaling that they can launch an EMP attack, electromagnetic pulse. That's one that might not destroy a city with a big bomb going off in it, but it would go off well above the city and fry the electricity. And then our civilization, as we know it, stops working because none of our computers work. None of our cash registers work. Many of the doors to buildings won't work. All of that. We'll talk to Anthony Fury about that. I'm Brian Lilly. It is Beyond the News back at night. Have you missed me at night? Drop me a line on that beyond the news at Cfra.com. We'll get back in the saddle when we come back. Let's
0: get a little mud on the tide. Cause it's a
3: good night. Be out there up the beyond the news with Brian Lilly. On News Talk 580
0: CFRA. May I have your attention, please?
1: Ryan Lilly's five things you need to know. The number one story that you need to know about is that there's a dirt bag out there with somebody else's urn with their relative's ashes in it.
4: Well, this is, you know, a piece of my mom. It's just very special to have her with me. And now that she's gone, uh, it feels like part of my heart has been ripped out.
1: Family up towards Pembroke having a um, a house shutting. Like, they're, they're moving their father and with them. They're having a, a house sale, selling off the items in the house. This was not for sale. Someone picked it up. They'd, it's not like they paid for it and mistakenly took it. They just took it. Maybe they did take it by mistake. If so, listen to the pleas from the family. Return the urn. If you're a dirtbag and you took it on purpose and not by mistake, still return the urn. This is somebody's mother, their mother's ashes. There were, I believe, four of them spread out around different family members. And I know what that's like. Don't take this away from them. Give the ashes back. Story number two that you need to know about. It's something that I alluded to earlier. I thought that the liberals were going to back away from their their push to radically alter the way small business owners are taxed, the way they can plan for the retirement, the way they can invest in their business, how they can pay their employees that are also relatives. We'd seen a lot of grumbling from backbench liberal MPs, Susan Smith, the most on-message liberal pundit I've ever seen going on the state broadcaster and ranting about how this is communicated badly and she doesn't like it as a small business owner. I thought, oh, for sure, they're leaving it. Then Justin Trudeau goes to Saskatoon. He's doing a news conference there. He's responding to questions over the backlash uh, for the plan that the government describes as a plan to inject more fairness into the tax system by closing loopholes. I will make no
2: apologies for this approach. It's what Canadians expect of us when we say we're going to grow the middle class and help those working hard to join it. At the same time, we're in a consultation period on hearing feedback from Canadians that want to make sure that this does help the middle class, uh, and that's what we're very much focused on. The part that isn't in this clip, and I don't have access to the rest of
1: it, is he goes on to say... And if we have to force the well-off to pay a little bit more, so be it. But listen to his opening there. I will make no apologies for this approach. This approach. This is where we're going. You're going to listen. We'll call it a consultation, but it's not. Baron Beatty is the president and CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. I've spoken to him several times. He was on Ottawa Now earlier today and said this is the government going after not only big business, but also every mom and pop operation in this country.
5: They're looking to generate a quarter of a million dollars from the issue of, uh, of uh, salaries that are paid. Um, to do that, they'll have to attack about a billion dollars worth of income. You think that's only going to come from high income Canadians? Trying to...
1: It's not going to. It's not going to at all. Story number three, it is the ongoing saga of North Korea. Of course, they launched that H-bomb over the weekend. Uh, Well, detonated it. They didn't launch it. It wasn't a missile that went over Japan this time. They detonated it underground. It caused a seismic um, event similar to an earthquake that registered as far away as Norway. This was a massive massive bomb, many times the size of the ones dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. An emergency meeting at the U.N. Security Council today, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, saying something's got to be done. This guy, Kim Jong-un, is begging for war.
6: His abusive use of missiles and his nuclear threats show that he is begging for war. War is never something the United States wants. We don't want it now. But our country's patience is not unlimited. We will defend our allies and our territory. The idea that some have suggested a so-called freeze for freeze is insulting. When a rogue regime has a nuclear weapon and an ICBM pointed at you, you do not take steps to lower your guard. No one would do that. We certainly won't.
1: And good on Nikki Haley and the United States. I think they're going in the right direction. Well, sanctions on North Korea have been tried and they failed. Um, Serious negotiations seem like a pipe dream. And what about a military strike? Well, simple fact of the matter is that would inevitably lead to bloodshed on a huge scale. So what's to happen? Well, Justin Trudeau wants the U.N. to step in. That was his big thing. The U.N. has stepped in. In ways that were unprecedented a few weeks ago with an increase in the sanctions, maybe not enough, but it was an increase in the sanctions. But what Trudeau doesn't seem to realize is that North Korea has two protectors on the U.N. Security Council seat with with vetoes. China is their main protector. Russia is also a bit of a protector of the United Nations. So he's just spewing words and saying, let's, let's have a multilateral solution. Let's have the United Nations step in because he doesn't, he doesn't think about anything other than the United Nations. I remember saying that Michael Ignatieff, when he was liberal leader, wanted to outsource Canadian foreign policy to the United Nations. Now, why did I say that? Because during the French language debate during the election, Ignatieff actually said, that Canada should not be allowed to send troops outside of its borders unless it's asked to do so by the United Nations. That is outsourcing foreign policy to the UN. Now, after Ignatieff was questioned about this the day after, he quickly backed away from it and said, no, that was going too far. But Justin Trudeau actually believes every answer is the United Nations, at least when it comes to foreign policy. That I don't understand. Hurricane Harvey's effects still being felt, but in the meantime another hurricane could be bearing down on the United States. This one is Hurricane Irma. It's out in the Atlantic right now. It is a bit south mm, southeast of the U.S coast, um, off towards uh, well out past Puerto Rico, about 800 kilometers east of the leeward islands in the Eastern Caribbean. The storm has a maximum sustained winds of over 200 kilometers an hour, and it's moving west towards the U.S. mainland at 20 kilometers an hour. Well, like I said, we don't know if it's going to hit the U.S. mainland yet, but reporter Alex Stone says that hasn't stopped uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott from declaring a state of emergency.
4: The emergency declaration covers all counties in Florida. The governor says giving them time and resources to get ready. The impact of Hurricane Irma on Florida or anywhere in the U.S. isn't clear yet. The storm track has been changing, but increasingly it appears Florida will feel the impact of Hurricane Irma, but it's unknown if it will be a direct hit or outer bands impacting the state.
1: Let's hope it's outer bands. Let's hope that it's downgraded to a tropical storm by the time it happens that's still major that's still a big storm but let's hope it's downgraded by then and the final story that you need to know about well you don't need to know about it but i found it funny you always hear on the fourth of july about joey chestnut winning the hot dog eating contest the guy just scarfs them down dozens of hot dogs at a time well this time he's won a different food eating competition he's retained his title it's the buffalo Wing Eating Contest
4: in Buffalo, New York. Final day, the Buffalo Wing Fest, the main attraction. Of course, today's big wing eating competition. Top competitive, there he goes, top competitive eater, Joey Chestnut. Look at those wings. Was there to defend his title. It was close. Uh, Chestnut gets to keep his title for another year. One with a total of 220 wings, blowing his last record out of the water by 32. 220
1: wings. His old record was 188. If you haven't been to Buffalo for wings or Amherst, Lackawanna, that area, go to Honeys in, in, in Amherst. It's great. They claim to be the home of uh, the Buffalo wings. But don't try and eat 220 of them. It's not going to happen. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, Bill Tuss will join us. Who's really, Who's really being treated unfairly here? Is it the small business guys? I'd say so. Back after this.
3: is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at facebook.com slash 580 CFRA.
1: It's Labor Day. I'm still laboring. relaunch and i'm saying starting to because it's not complete yet but i've made it public uh starting to relaunch BrianLilly.com. had a column up there this morning on uh, some people should be cheering labor day more than others because i'm talking about the guys that get rich off the fruit of your labors and no i'm not talking about uh, big nasty um, capitalist ceos i'm talking about the rent seekers that figure out a way to get money out of government i'll um i'll talk about that coming up in the next segment because I've got more information on a guy that we've talked about before who is getting millions of dollars from Ontario taxpayers and just happens to be Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager. But the big issue right now is this, this fight over the small business tax changes that the Liberals have proposed. They are going to change how you can save money within your business, within your small business, how you pay your employees that are your relatives, such as your spouse, your kids could be, well, cousin, anybody that's relative, it's, it's going to affect that. Um, and Justin Trudeau has been under an awful lot of pressure. Well, you heard him earlier saying he's not going to apologize. I will make no apologies for this approach. You know what he also said? He's, he's blaming the conservatives for the way things are going.
2: The Conservatives opposed our lowering of taxes on the middle class and raising them on the wealthiest 1%. They opposed us stopping to sending Child benefit checks to millionaires, and now they're opposed to us bringing in more tax fairness that's going to uh, help the middle class and those working hard to join it at the cost of uh, some of our most successful Canadians. I will make no apologies for this approach. It's what Canadians expect of us when we say we're going to grow the middle class and help those working hard to join it.
1: That doesn't sound like a man backing away. Perrin Beatty from the uh, Chamber of Commerce says this is anything but fair. And just to give you an example, all the small business groups I've been talking with the last little while say that the average small business owner makes between sixteen dollars and $70,000 a year. Um, we're in a town where sixty dollars to $70,000, how many civil servants make more than that? Well, Bill Tufts with Fair Pensions for All tweeted at me sarcastically this morning uh, when I, I tweeted out about Trudeau and my thoughts on his stand on this. And, and he referenced an article from a few years ago now that was quite shocking to me. And Bill Tufts, uh, with Fair Pensions for All and the author of Pension Ponzi joins me on the line now. Bill, thanks for the time. My pleasure. You pointed to a parliamentary budget office report that said what when it comes to the the total cost, not the not what an, a civil servant, federal civil servant takes home, but what it costs the taxpayers in the federal government. What did what did that report? And this is from what back in 2014 or 2012. What do you remember what the number is? Yes, it was one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars in total compensation
7: for the average Public sector federal employee. So, so that that's, that's
1: a, the hundred and fourteen thousand dollars is the average cost of a federal public servant. That's in twenty twelve. And it was expected to go up to one hundred and twenty nine eight by twenty fifteen.
7: Yeah, and it's probably well over that.
1: So when when we say total cost to taxpayers, I mean, that's not the, that's not with the average civil servant. I know there's going to be a lot of federal civil ser- servants screaming at us right now through the radio saying, you guys just want to bash us, you hate us, and we don't make that much money. That's not what you're saying. And,
7: uh, uh, no, but certainly there's a fairness involved with this issue. Uh, part of that compens- compensation of $130,000 today for an average public sector federal employee includes their salary and, on top of their salary, there's typically another 30% worth of benefits. Uh, all the benefits that are included, a recent report came out from StatsCan and showed that the government worker actually works 30 days less a year than somebody in the private sector. 15% goes directly into those platinum pensions. Platinum, because I say there's several different levels of pen- pensions from platinum to gold-plated in the private corporations that still have pensions, down to... RRSPs, the average RRSP is $60,000 a year. A typical federal employee at that salary level is going to take home more than that in their first year of pension collected for another 30 years as well. And that's $60,000 in the average RRSP. And the shocking thing is half of Canadians don't even have an RRSP. So if uh, Moreno wants to get serious about Tax fairness and fairness in the system rather than calling small businesses uh, cheats and frauds, which he didn't actually say that, but certainly that. Well, that's hard and clear. And, no, know, Justin they,
1: Trudeau in an interview said uh, that most small business owners are tax cheats.
7: Oh, he that's, he, he that's, said that that's to
1: uh, Peter Mansbridge during, during the last election.
7: Wow. And, uh, you know, that's, that's their attitude. Uh, small business is just getting absolutely hammered. Uh, right now, they introduced the big CPP. It's going to nail companies hard. Tens of thousands of companies are going to be going out of business with, with that. Another, you know, more tens and thousands are going to be going out of business with carbon tax. The minimum wage in Ontario, it's a ridiculous, I think, 40% hike. That's going to nail tens of thousands of businesses that are, you know, not that wealthy. Like you say, that's 70 Five thousand dollars a year. Typically, that's uh, you know is, is is a family income as well.
1: Now uh, I, it's I know is ho-
7: horrendous what they're doing.
1: Part of being a watchdog on how some of the the rich benefits of public service pensions, you've also looked at uh, rich private sector pensions. But how do small business owners compare? Because. They're they're being told, well, look, you you can't keep money inside the company and then take it out later on like a pension, or you can't sell off your business and and use that like a pension. That's not fair. We've got to tax you at a high level. Absolutely How does the, the pension ridiculous. setup for most small business owners compare to the people in the majority of workers in this town who are federal civil servants?
7: Yeah, it, it pales in comparison. Uh, that average sixty thousand dollars in an RSP—that's after a lifetime of savings. Uh, you know, a, a, a teacher's uh, pension contribution in the first year is just uh, twenty-five thousand dollars on the uh, medium teacher here in Ontario, and that goes on for, for for thirty years. One of the one of the things which was really outrageous was just last year, uh, Morneau got uh, and reduced the TFSA. That was a tax free savings account, which was an ideal savings vehicle for small businesses. He reduced it from ten thousand to five thousand because he figured that ten thousand dollars was just too much for a small business owner to put into a tax free savings account. In order to save for the retirement, it was going to hide too much tax away from the uh, the revenues of the government. I, at uh... the same time that Same teachers putting twenty five thousand dollars. There's just no the rightly so small businesses are outraged. They've been hammered, hammered, hammered with the big CPP, the carbon tax, minimum wages. A typical small business is collecting all of those taxes on top of employment insurance, health tax, GST, property tax.
1: They have to administer the tax on behalf of the government. They don't get paid for that
7: they're they're the uh, de facto tax collectors for the ge- federal government the uh, first dollar that comes out of any small business has to go to pay all those taxes until all those pa- taxes are paid the small business owner will not see a nickel a, a dollar in, in in profit it's uh, just they've been hammered to death uh, 70 over 70 percent of the workers Employees in the private sector are working for a small business, and I don't know what this government's thinking, but uh, it's it's yeah. a uh, all-out war and attack on small business at, at the behest of the uh, the big public sector unions. I uh, think this apparently
1: is this is apparently something that came out of finance uh, from the bureaucrats. It's something that has been floating around for a long time. They took it to Jim Flaherty, I'm told, and he said no, and he said no, and he said no, and then they stopped and they they brought it forward to Bill Morneau who makes an awful lot of money consulting. Well, his company does uh, consulting uh, pension and benefit schemes. And um, he, uh, he thought, sure. So we've got two, two guys with literally born with silver spoons in their mouths, dictating to small businesses how they should arrange their affairs.
7: And it's just, yeah, outrageous trust fund babies. They like to be, you know, the, the social media is is calling them uh, more. No, oh, in 2007 he was making about 135 million dollars off of consulting to public sector and large private uh, pensions uh, and employee benefit companies. Uh, this year, he's going to take out a half a billion dollars. Most of that's money that's come out of these pensions. They found a uh, darling that uh, is going to act on their behalf, protect them and their pensions, and uh, make sure they're very well looked after. They were ecstatic when Bill Morneau became the finance well, minister. Uh, you know, If I people would...
1: don't believe us on the the numbers you were giving out about total cost of a federal civil servant, I've just retweeted. Uh, Bill's uh, Bill's tweet from, from earlier on. And you can go and check the report from yourself. It's in Huffington Post. It cites the Parliamentary Budget Office. Bill, thanks for the time tonight.
7: My pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Bill Tufts with Fair Pensions for All. I almost called him Bill Morneau. No, that, that, that'd be wrong. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, I'm going to explain how um, Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager continues to, um, well, Get wealthy due to the fruits of your labor. I'm Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA.
3: In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: So I'm turning onto Queen Elizabeth Driveway down by Pretoria Bridge in the canal today. And it's pouring rain because, well, have you seen outside? Really, have you seen outside all summer long? It's pouring rain. A car goes by me. Red car. One of the back windows was a piece of chipboard. Particle board. You know where they take all the, the slivers of wood and shove them together with glue and press them into the equivalent of plywood? It's not quite as good, but... That was their back window, actually driving around with a black, uh, a wooden window. So I tweeted that out today, and I said, I saw a car uh, today driving with a rear window made of particle board. Yes, wood. What's the weirdest repair you've ever seen? Uh, Well, Nancy tweeted back at me, the back of the driver's seat was broken. Hubby braced it with a huge post on an angle on the back seat. Interesting. Uh, windshield held on with duct tape, guy driving no more than 30 kilometers for fear of it flying out. Uh, f- uh, that's from Colin. Philip tweeted at me, the um, the car that you see driving all around the city of Ottawa, it's got the flags on it and the lights and the horses. The guy just drives around to show off and, and make people happy. Uh, Brenda says, saw a van uh, about every inch of it was covered in duct tape and had a mix of plastic and plywood for windows and some red plastic plastic. Tail lights, and uh, finally Tom, uh, a toss-up between a coat hanger antenna and a red construction tail light lens. Tweet at me if you've uh, what what have you seen, or have you seen this guy driving around Ottawa with a piece of particle board? Particle board for a window. Of course, I've also seen people with back windows completely done up with garbage bags and duct tape. I've seen that before. So. The Twitter handle, at Brian Lilly, if you want to have fun on that one, or you can drop me an email, news at cfra.com. Now, I'm not going to say that the uh, website is looking fantastic. It's not. Uh, but after some time away, I've started up brianlilly.com again. We'll continue to grow it. It's If you click around on it too much, you're going to find stuff that shouldn't be up there right now because I just haven't changed it from the default settings on the website. But there is a piece that I want you to find. And I posted it to both Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, it's on com. And the headline is, Liberals Living Off the Fruits of Your Labor. This is about David Hurley, Kathleen Wynne's campaign manager, one of her top strategists. And I got thinking about it again, talked a little bit about this on Friday while I was in for Rob. I started thinking about this when Kathleen Wynne was talking about her popularity in response to a Canadian press story.
6: The people who love me are my family, and Not I go many home others. to them. And you know what? My job is to make sure that the people of Ontario have the best opportunity possible.
1: And she thinks she's doing that, and she thinks that the people of Ontario love all of her ideas.
6: Whether people like me or not, I'm really glad that people think that free tuition for kids who live in low-income families is a good idea. I'm really glad that people think that having free medication for kids from 0 to 25, that that's a really good idea. I'm really glad that people think that increasing the minimum wage is a good idea and that that makes for a fairer Ontario. Uh,
1: I don't think it makes for a fairer Ontario. I think it makes for vote-buying. By you but that's that's just me. What do I know really? What do I know? A Kathleen Wynne was saying all this because of a story that broke by Canadian press last week about polls that were done by the Gandalf group. Now the Gandalf group is owned by David Hurley, her campaign manager. I've told you about this before because back in I guess it was June last year I broke a story about the amount of money that he was getting from caucus or from the premier's office directly did a freedom of information. That's what they call it. The provincial level freedom of information request found out that David Hurley's company was getting just shy of $900,000 for the 2015, 2016 fiscal year for commissioned research services. That's all they would tell us. He was doing polling for them essentially, He's doing polling. Now, from that, I was put on to another story that I didn't know about that had come out months earlier is by uh, Adrian Morrow at the Globe and Mail. Great reporter for the Globe who's now down in Washington. He, you know, tends to stick to the facts, dig into stuff, find out information and doesn't just sit there going over about uh, how um, his thoughts on on the day. Adrian Adrian Morrow. Reported that 2.1 million dollars of government contracts went to liberal-friendly firms at Queen Park. At Queen's Park, and right at the top, I want to quote from it was Gandalf Group. Quote: Among the contracts were the 11 million for a firm run by Premier Kathleen Wynne's top strategist and pollster, 353 thousand for the party's chief advertising company, 383 thousand for a data mining outfit that has worked on the Liberals' voter information database. Okay, so that's uh, 1.1 million and just shy of 900 thousand. That's almost two million dollars. So I did more digging. I got tips. I did access to information requests. It's how I found out that he was billing Ontario Power Generation. The premier's campaign manager gets all these contracts with all of these different departments, including billing out Ontario Power Generation at. $420 per hour. His other employees, by the way, billed out at $105 and $270 an hour. Well, what else did we find out? Contract with the finance department worth $400,000. Contract with the Ontario Energy Board worth $347,000. Uh, but that agency says it only paid out $90,000. You add it all up, and it comes to $2.7 million except it continues to go. Even the Toronto Star was calling him the two uh, the $3 million man last year. Now, here's why this is really starting to rub against me. It's Labor Day. We're celebrating the workers. How many workers make $420 an hour? The average Canadian working full-time earns about $48,000 a year or $24 an hour. $420 an hour works out to seventeen and a half times what the average Canadian makes working full-time. 17 and a half times. This is the guy who is going to come up with the messaging to sell you on Kathleen Wynne making Ontario fairer. The Fair Hydro plan making wages fairer. He's making millions. And what's he doing? He's essentially doing partisan work consulting for the government. He's the one doing the polls that say Kathleen Wynne's not popular, but all the policies that I'm about to turn around and sell you, those are real popular. I'm not buying that from David Hurley. I haven't looked at the data tables. I haven't seen what the questions were. But when you've got millions of dollars riding on it, forgive me if I look askance at your data and say, "Hmm, maybe there's, a little more to it than this. When we kick out Kathleen Wynne next year, here's another reason to do it, not just to get rid of her and her policies, but to get rid of people who seem to think that because they're liberals, because they're connected to the premier, that they get to get rich off of you and your hard work, your labor, the fruits of your labor. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Remember get fire win and with that we'll get to fire david hurley when we come back uh mpp monty mcnaughton the ontario pc's critic on economic development on a a beautiful grant given to the makers of oxycontin why why is that of interest we'll get to that one when we return
3: Insurgent? Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA.
4: Stephen McGilvery went to the doctor for help, easing pain from a workplace injury, and ended up horribly addicted to OxyContin.
8: I lost a job of 20 years, and a great job. Um, Next next, uh, that I lost, I lost my family.
1: That is a report by Avis Favreau from the end of May of this year, by the way, on the, the problem that so many Canadians have had of being addicted to the prescription drug OxyContin. Well, you can say, well, boo-hoo for Stephen McGovery, bad for him. But turns out that he helped launch a class action lawsuit that turned things around, changed the way that Purdue, the, the maker of Oxy had to look at things
4: with family support he got on methadone and he helped launch a class action lawsuit against purdue pharma the makers of oxycontin charging the company with deceit in marketing the drug and failing to warn doctors pharmacists and patients of the risks of addiction after a decade in court purdue pharma recently settled agreeing to pay out $20 million to any Canadians who can prove they were harmed by legitimate prescriptions.
1: Now, why does this matter today? This is a report from back in May, because over the weekend, Sean Jeffords, uh, the political bureau chief for the Toronto Sun, broke a story at Queen's Park about a lengthy battle that the Sun had with Ontario's Information Privacy Commission, well, really with Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin, because they wanted to know why... The provincial government was giving $4.9 million in a grant, a taxpayer funded grant, not alone, a grant to a multi billion dollar profitable drug company. Well, joining me on the line now to talk about this and maybe explain a little bit of this is Monty McNaughton, progressive conservative MPP and critic on this file. And uh, Monty, I always scratch my head when I try and figure out why companies uh, that are highly profitable, well, why any company, but especially these highly profitable multinationals that rake in billions a year, hey, good on you for making billions, but why are they getting grants? As the economic development critic for the PCs, do you understand it? Well, not at all. I mean,
8: I've been uh, fighting this for years at Queen's Park. Um, I've long fought um, taxpayers giving uh, grants to private sector corporations, Um, for a long time, but I also have been after the Liberal government to reveal uh, every private company that has received uh, a grant, and so far they continue to uh, stall and not release uh, all details of companies that have received grants, but in this case uh, with Purdue, they got about $5 million. Um, This is a company that has made $80 billion uh, to the end of 2016 uh, manufacturing uh, OxyContin. Uh, this is not what taxpayers are responsible for funding.
1: Now, from what I understand, the uh, the guys behind Oxy, they did not want this to get out there. It was them more than the government that were fighting it because um, under freedom of information, uh, if it's a third party, they can object as well. Well, the information commissioner eventually said, too bad, so sad. And what we find out in some of these documents is that the bureaucrats were warning the Win mcginty liberals Back in 07 saying, well, uh, hold on a minute. Do we want to be doing this? We've got uh, lawsuits coming up in the States. Lawsuits starting here. It's just it's mind boggling that with all of those warnings from bureaucrats, they would go ahead. What was the money for? Why did they get this four point nine million? Well, you're right. Uh, the then Premier Dalton McGuinty and and
8: the Liberal ministers and the bureaucrats of the day were warned not to uh, give this money uh, to Purdue. There were lawsuits happening uh, down in the United States uh, at the time. Several states were suing uh, the company. Um, you know, this is just uh, a case where. They wanted to give a company uh, $5 million to, um, as they said in the uh, grant application, uh, retain uh, 60 jobs. So it worked out taxpayers uh, funded uh, to the tune of about $84,000 per job to a company, as I said, that has made uh, $80 billion.
1: $84,000 per job?
8: That's what the grant uh, worked out to be. Um, Part of the agreement was that Purdue had to retain uh, 60 jobs to get this $5 million, and... (laughs) Uh, again, they made uh, $80 billion to the end of 2016 just manufacturing this one drug.
1: Nice work if you can get it. I, look, I, I I don't blame Purdue for uh, making as much money as they can. I don't blame anyone or any organization for making as much money as they can. As long as they're doing it legally, you know, the guy's pushing the fake oxy on the street. I don't want them making that money. But obviously something, something is amiss here because... It's gone from the Ontario Liberals wanting to give money to Purdue to the Ontario Liberals now demanding that the federal government take legal action against them. Health Minister Eric Hoskins has written to the federal government calling uh, for them to be held accountable for, and I quote, potentially illegal, end quote, activities surrounding the marketing of OxyContin in Canada. Uh, They they contributed to this. Now they're saying uh, bail us out.
8: Well, that's right. I mean, I've long said that corporate welfare is unhealthy for the economy. Uh, in this case, it appears that it may have been unhealthy uh, for society. And I remember uh, earlier this year, Lisa McLeod had a press conference in Ottawa where she brought out the stat that two people uh, per day are dying uh, in Ontario um, uh, from from this drug and, and from the opioid crisis. So uh, again, uh, you know, it's hard to, uh, I guess, listen to the government now uh, urging the federal government to sue this company when they, in fact, these liberal politicians handed out $5 million uh, to this company. And we have to fight a tooth and nail just to see which companies have received uh, taxpayer grants. And uh, so far, they refuse, uh, the liberals, that is, uh, refuse to release uh, details of all of these grants. I think that uh, any company that receives uh, taxpayer money, uh, it should be full transparency on behalf of the government, so we know where this money's
1: going. Especially, I would say, when it comes to the Gandalf Group. I was speaking about this earlier, and I, you know, I wrote about it on uh, com earlier today, but uh, I've, I've been fighting, and it's been taking a long time to find out how much money Kathleen Wynn's campaign manager is getting through his company, Gandalf Group. And We've been able to piece together that it's just under $2.7 million, but that's before this latest round of polling. It does include some of the $420 an hour bills to... Ontario Power Generation. Are these guys just crony capitalists? I mean, I know they run to the left of the NDP on on all the social program issues, but when it comes to running the economy, it seems like crony capitalism at its worst. Oh, absolutely. This is crony capitalism at its worst. I
8: remember, um, you know, the last 30 wind turbine contracts, for example, that were awarded in the province of Ontario, all 30 of those companies donated to the Ontario a Liberal Party to the tune of I think it was around one point three million dollars um, look I, I think that 's part of the reason why uh, the Liberals continue to operate under a veil of secrecy. They refused to release uh, all these uh, corporate welfare grants um, now we 're starting to total up the number of companies that have actually gone out of business that received uh, these grants, which is much different obviously than uh, the purdue situation but Uh, This is just a a bad program. It's bad value for taxpayers. And in the Purdue situation, it looks like it's it's bad for uh, the families of this province.
1: All right, Monty, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Brian. Monty McNaughton is the Ontario Progressive Conservative Economic Development Critic. Joining me on the line tonight, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, you won't believe what the federal Liberals are trying to shove into NAFTA. They're more interested in directing U.S. policy than they are in getting a trade deal. I'll explain when we come back.
3: He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I don't think the liberals realize sometimes how ridiculous they can sound. Catherine McKenna. No, I'm not talking about her accent. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, she's got a valley girl accent. What's with that valley girl accent? That's an affected valley. No, that is not a valley girl accent on Catherine McKenna. She's from my hometown of Hamilton. She just sounds like a hoser from The Hammer. That's no offense to you, Catherine. That's how we sound down there. I sound a little different. I think it has to do with my parents and their weird accents. But that and years of broadcast training. But when I say I don't think liberals realize how ridiculous they sound, it's because of what Catherine McKenna said, not how she said it on the weekend. She tweeted out, and so done with ridiculous language from hashtag CPC, the Conservatives Party, like, quote, unquote, virtue signaling. We will continue to stand up for Canadian values at home and abroad. Again, every time that they invoke Canadian values, I have to go back to the point of, I thought we didn't have Canadian values. That's what they told us. Kelly Leach said we should do a values test. Canada doesn't have values. Now we have values. So why was she saying that she was fed up or that she's so done? And by the way, conservatives are trying to turn that into a hashtag about being hashtag so done. And then you say what you're so done with the liberals for. But why was she saying she's so done with language like virtue signaling? It's because Aaron O'Toole went out, held a news conference and was talking about the attempt by the Trudeau liberals to put in things like support for the Paris Climate Accord into the NAFTA negotiations. This is what they want. They want the Paris Climate Accord in the NAFTA negotiations, even though Donald Trump has said he's pulling America out. So how does that make sense? There's already a chapter on the environment in NAFTA. You can strengthen it without having to poke the bear. What about trying to negotiate something that could improve the lot of the Canadian economy? Maybe we get better access to the American markets or the Mexican markets on some aspects. Because although we say we have free trade, of course, we all have protected markets. We have supply management. We have banking that's protected, broadcasting. The Americans want access to some of this. Well, what do we want to get access to that they're protecting because they're all protecting something? No. No, they want a chapter on indigenous rights. They want a chapter on gender. They want the Paris Climate Accord. And now... This is in the Globe and Mail from just a couple of hours ago. Adrian Morrow in Mexico City. Canadian negotiators are demanding the United States roll back so-called right-to-work laws, accused of gutting unions in some U.S. states by starving them of money, as part of the negotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement. The request is part of a push by Ottawa to get U.S. and Mexico to adopt higher labor standards under the deal. Mexico, meanwhile, is campaigning to include its oil and gas sector in the deal. Uh, Why are we going after American right-to-work laws? These are laws that are in place at the state level. Just like at the provincial level, we all have different rules on union membership, how it's done. There are federal laws as well for federally regulated industries, such as broadcasting, trucking, anything that crosses a border. But they want to... They want to change American domestic law. How does that help us? Wisconsin, for example, is a right-to-work state. There are about nineteen, twenty of them maybe now, maybe a few more. It's been a while since I looked. And these are places where they've done away with some of the draconian labor laws of the past, the kind that said uh, you must be a union member and pay for union dues and all of the political uh, – activities that we want to do with your union dues if you want the job. So if you're a municipal worker here in Ottawa, you have to belong to Union 503. If you're a firefighter, you have to belong to the firefighters union. If the firefighters union disciplines you and kicks you out of the union, you know that you can lose your job as the firefighter, even though your employer's happy with you. And that's the way it works in a lot of places. In several U.S. states, they didn't get rid of unions. They got rid of some of the more draconian measures, like the one I just mentioned, where if the union decides to discipline you and kick you out, but your employer's happy, you lose your job because you must be a union member to have certain jobs in this country. And that's the way it was in the United States. But several states said no. They want to change it. They want to modernize their labor laws because some of the labor laws were ridiculous. They were just, they were stifling employment rather than helping it. The fastest growing economies for jobs, it's often the the right to work states. And the unions are still there. Now, are they as rich and powerful? No, because one of the things you can do is say you don't want to pay for the political activities. Imagine that, what, what that would do here in Canada. Union money helped fund, I'm told, close to $10 million for Engage Canada. This was the super PAC that wanted to take on Stephen Harper in the last election. Now, they had to shut down as soon as he called the election early in August. But they had $10 million of advertising. Union money still went to places like Lead Now and Dogwood Initiative to organize against the Conservatives. But provincially, in Ontario in the last election, The unions combined spent more than any single political party. And almost all of it attack ads against the conservatives. And guess what's going to happen in the next provincial election? The unions will do the same. Now, if you're a union member and you don't agree with that, you can go and say, please stop spending my money on this. And the union bosses say, too bad, so sad, Rand formula. We get to do this, even though they completely misread the Rand formula. I've actually read the Rand formula, I've read the report. I know what I'm talking about on this. They misread it. So do our courts quite often. And they're of the opinion they can do whatever they want with your money. And so they become a super PAC. They become a political entity. That's never what it was supposed to be. So the Americans have rolled back, as I say, some of these draconian measures. They've curtailed some of the political activity if members don't want it. If the members want it and are happy with it, guess what? They can keep doing it because it's a voluntary contribution. And in America, that's what it's all about. In Canada, we have enforced contributions such as the fact that I'm sitting here on CFRA and we still have to pay for the state broadcaster to compete against us. That's how we work in Canada. The government tells you what you're going to do. Justin Trudeau is not going into these NAFTA negotiations and saying to the Americans, "Okay, we want access to A, B and C. He's going in and saying we want to rewrite your domestic law that has nothing to do with trade. It's about making life better for unions. It's about pleasing some academics on gender. Find me the company that doesn't pay men and women the same wage other than Justin Trudeau's PMO, because remember, he pays the New York Consul General seventy well, $0.69 cents on the dollar for what he pays her male counterpart in San Francisco. But find me a major company that pays men and women differently for doing the same job in this day and age. But he wants gender in there. He wants the Paris Climate Accord in there. And I have no idea what the whole relationship between the federal and indigenous peoples in the United States is, so I don't even know what to make of that, nor do I know the relationship between the Mexican government and their indigenous peoples. But Catherine McKenna comes out and says she's so done with virtue signaling, and then her people come out and say, we want right to work taken out of your legislation. We want you to adopt our ridiculous labor laws. Tell me they are not virtue signaling. Because I'll tell you one thing they're not doing, they're not negotiating on behalf of Canadian workers, Canadian business, and the Canadian economy. They're negotiating on behalf of their Ivory Tower political agenda driven by their leftist ideology. It's it's not about making life better for Canadians. It's about making life fair. They're from the government. They're Canadian and they're here to help. I'm Brian Lilly, this is Beyond the News. Stick around. When we come back, Anthony Fury will join us. Toronto Sun columnist and comment editor, and of course, he's the author of a book on EMP attacks. He'll explain what that has to do with North Korea when we come back.
3: Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
6: No country should have missiles flying over them like those 130 million people in Japan. It's unacceptable. They have violated every single U.N. Security Council resolution that we've had. And so I think something serious has to happen.
1: The U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, speaking at a meeting of the UN United Nations Security Council earlier today on what was going on with North Korea over the weekend. Of course, It was just a few days ago, they launched a missile that flew right over Japan, right over Japan. It threatened them. Then they ended up uh, detonating a hydrogen bomb underground with a a seismic footprint that went beyond. It went beyond Asia. It was felt in Norway. Uh, Anthony Fury has a column out in the Toronto Sun today and the Ottawa Sun talking about this issue and saying, this is the prelude to the the electromagnetic pulse attack that he's been warning about. Of course, Anthony Fury is a columnist with the Sun Papers, uh, editor in Toronto, and of course the author of Pulse Attack: The Real Story Behind the Secret. Why is half the the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America? I, just all of a sudden, half of your uh, subtitle disappeared. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, Brian. I, I mean, last time when we talked about the book. I was saying an EMP weapon, an electromagnetic pulse weapon, is something that that uh, North Korea may be planning to do. Maybe they want to do it. Uh-oh, big problem. In their statement they gave out Sunday morning, they mentioned EMP. They said, we are going to do an EMP attack. It is in our, our strategic plans. It's something that we might be using this H-bomb detonation for. So this is actually a game-changer, Brian. This is the first time... North Korea or really any other rogue state, large country, has even acknowledged an EMP attack in recent decades. This is incredibly troubling. And you're right. It takes my book from being, uh, you know, a concern to something that maybe they might do or learn about or know about soon to something that's very real. Okay, let's back up a bit
1: because EMP attack is still not something that is a a common topic that's discussed. What are we talking about?
4: Instead of dropping that H-bomb on the ground and creating a crater and destroying a whole city, which of course would be a horrible thing, one alternative thing they can do is detonate it in the atmosphere. And what that would do is create this sort of gamma ray interaction, the the explosion and what comes out of it, that would send this super high-energy waveform that would go everywhere through the line of sight and come into contact with whatever electronics and power lines and get into the electrical grid. And shut down electronics, even shut down transformer stations. And depending on how bad it is, this means that they could shut down pretty much our whole way of life for weeks or even months or you know, beyond a year, however long it takes us to replace those transformer stations. And everything we rely on, Brian, our our water filtration systems, of course, our power grid, all our life support apparatus, the elevators in our buildings, everything, you name it. Th- think down. about
1: what's been happening due to Hurricane Harvey in Houston in the flood affected areas and just it's dry but nothing works
4: it all just turns off all of a sudden
1: so i you know i hadn't thought about water filtration for a minute or for a, previously when thinking about an EMP attack i was mainly thinking about the computers we use in our businesses the the cash registers we use our clocks so many of the doors to to get into buildings now are assisted in terms of you know operator assisted or electrical assisted those would cease to work Um, the what would it do to our cars that today have computers on the inside of them
4: well great question a lot of things that we don't think of as computers actually are computers Uh, microwaves cars tractors these things are all computers to some degree And those cars, after a certain age, would stop working after a certain time period. If you're like Clint Eastwood and you still drive around in a truck from, you know, 1964 or whatever, you'll probably be okay, although you'll only be able to use that one tank of gas you have. Because, of course, everything we do now, Brian, to your point about the doors, uh, we're an electronic civilization. Everything we do uh, has some form of electronic component in it. So we would essentially go back to living like we're in 1850. The big problem with that is that the reason why we have such large populations in western countries is technology has enabled to do it. It's enabled us to bring food into the cities and feed people that way. It's enabled us to live in 20, 30 story buildings. If you go back to 1850, you just can't sustain the population we would have. So a big concern that a report that that US Congress created was that the majority of people in North America would actually die If there is an EMP attack, not through being killed by an explosion, but through societal decay, because we just can't support those many lives.
1: Before the EMP attack was mentioned or the EMP possibility, electromagnetic pulse attack was mentioned by North Korea. I came across just in my Twitter feed um, someone joking about, oh, if an EMP happens, does that make cavalry the uh, the choice of um, uh, of the military again. And Claire Lopez jokingly replied, no, because everyone will be eating the horses.
4: Yeah, of course, very, that's
1: possibly true.
4: <laughs> very sad way to put it. Certainly. I mean, we'll be we'll be starving. In, in truth, if if North Korea does decide to do an EMP attack, let's say on the United States, that would be an asymmetrical warfare. Now, normally you say MAD, mutual short destruction. I means that's why Russia will not actually nuke the U.S. because they know before their missiles get over here, the U.S. will launch missiles. Okay, we're all dead, so what's the point of doing it? But in an asymmetrical warfare situation like EMP, North Korea doesn't EMP detonation over us. It takes down our grid, our ability to communicate, our electronics. We can't even fire anything back at them. And then they still have all their technology, and they could you know, conceivably come over and do some land invasion. I think that's a bit of a stretch for obvious, you know, reasons, but we are completely at at the mercy of of really anybody who hasn't had an EMP attack. The the silver lining is that military assets in the U.S. have been hardened to some degree. So uh, Cheyenne Mountain and NORAD has been hardened against an EMP attack. So, I mean, hopefully if they EMP us and then they try and ground nuke us, we would still have our air defense systems to stop them from ground nuking us, but we would still have to eat the horses.
1: That's um. it's an incredible thing to think of that this country that can barely feed its own people could stop us from being able to feed our own people.
4: That's a great way to put it. And I think that's the main reason why we just can't allow North Korea to become a, a nuclear power in the same way that, you, you know, China and Britain and France and, you know, the U.S. all are as you know permanent U.N. Security Council members or we just can't allow it to happen because all those member countries, they actually have stability and the protection of their middle classes to worry about such that they're they're not crazy people. Whatever you think about Vladimir Putin and, you know, U.S. election interference and all that narrative, I mean, these are still real countries that generally all have the same interest. North Korea does not have that. We we cannot allow them to stabilize a long-term nuclear program.
1: Speaking with Anthony Fury, uh, columnist with uh, Sun P- Papers and, uh, and editor there. Uh, also the author of Pulse Attack, the, uh, the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America. And we're talking about his book again because North Korea on the weekend threatened an electromagnetic pulse attack, the kind that just fries the electrical system. Think back to 2003 and where you were and could you get access to the necessities of life for a day or so. There were pockets back then. And I was talking about this with a friend on the weekend. There were pockets that were not shut down for various reasons, Anthony. But I'm guessing that in an EMP, we wouldn't have those pockets.
4: Well, well, the truth is we just don't know. Because after JFK brought in the partial test ban treaty in 1963, that stopped us from doing atmospheric tests. And atmospheric nuclear launches are the only way that you can actually get primary source evidence of what an EMP does. So we have all the data from when the U.S. and Russia and the USSR were doing uh, EMP tests for a very short period of time. They are only doing them for about three months. So a lot of the talk we do about it now is all based on that data. Of course, we had all different technology back then. Is our technology more resilient to it because it's just kind of better, or is it less resilient because we're using smaller and Uh, smaller microchips that you can fry more easily?
1: uh, Well, microchips, I was helping to run a gas station just after I left high school, took a gap year. And it, one of the gas stations that I helped run switched from the old-fashioned pumps that were just that. They were pumps. They were mechanical pumps to the newfangled. They, they went straight from 1960s pumps to the chip card reader ones back in the 90s. You could slide well, – maybe not chip card back then, but you could slide your credit card in and pay at the pump. Those things will not work is my guess.
4: Yeah. And I I don't think most of them will either, because we were just much more vulnerable in the electronic civilization. We need to do more testing. We need standardization. Uh, The Canadian government really has no clue what would happen if Canada was affected by this. The U.S. government only has slightly more information, slightly more than zero, ain't that much. It's a big problem.
1: Do you believe Kim Jong-un and those around him that say, oh, no, 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 this is just a deterrent weapon to stop us from being invaded?
4: Well, everything he's said he's going to do, he has done, and then some. So he says, we're going to have this weapon, and they get it. All the analysts say, no, no, there's no way they can, and they get it, and they do it faster than we thought we would. So, I mean, he's, he says he's going to strike the U.S. Obviously, he says it's more in retaliation. I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what his long-term play is, uh, but we we can't allow him to have nuclear weapons, even as a deterrent measure, I think.
1: All right. Anthony, thanks for the time. Thanks, Brian. Anthony Fury. You can pick up his book at Amazon. It is Pulse Attack, the real story behind the secret weapon that can destroy North America. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this.
3: This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the Outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: Congrats to Audrey Little from Metcalf. She qualified as part of the Ultimate Super Sen season season. Uh, Ultimate Super Sens fan season seat giveaway. They can't make it easy to say in the promo department. The Ultimate Super Sens fan season giveaway. You could win a, a pair of season seats to every Ottawa Senators home game in the 100 level. So that's the good seats. Those are, really are the good seats. Uh you just when it's time it's not time now. There's eight qualifying times each day 7 th- starts at 7:35 in the morning, ends with me at 9:35 you got to be the 25th caller, and then we will draw, uh, let's see. I'll figure that out for the next time. We will draw a name. I just, well, I'll let you know when it's happening. Looks like, oh, no, I was about to say it looks like they um, they might be getting ready to start the Tiger Cats Argos Labor Day Classic again. But, no, the game is on hold. It may end up actually being canceled. The rain pour is torrential. That's not the problem. I mean, it's it's worse rain than we're having in Ottawa right now. Yeah, it's died down. I don't know where it is, what it's like where you are, but it's died down a little bit here in the Byward Market. The rainfall is torrential, but they had to call the game and delay it. Well, they haven't called it off, but they have delayed it because of lightning. So, and this is perhaps the one game Hamilton could have won because they're they're always so pumped for it. Right now the team's 0 and 8, and if you're a Red Blacks fan, you have to be cheering for the Hamilton Tiger Cats because the Red Blacks are in first place with a record of 4-6 and 1. The Argos are right behind us with a record of Four, six, and oh, they have a game in hand. They win this one, then they're in first place. So you want Hamilton to win if you're a Red Blacks fan. I've never seen a game called for lightning. I've sat through some pretty bad weather for CFL games freezing cold, like bone chilling cold, torrential downpours, hot sun where you're just baking on those old metal benches. All of that. I've never seen a game delayed. That's a baseball thing. Oh, it's spitting. We can't play. I was reading off some of the tweets earlier about the, um, uh, the crazy car repairs because I saw that tweeted out and I told you about it. I saw this guy going around with a piece of chipboard, a piece of wood for one of his rear windows on the uh, passenger side door. And it's just bizarre. Because I mostly talk about politics, apparently that's all I'm allowed to tweet about. One guy told me that I am obviously a liberal uh, shill now. He's a guy on the right who's upset that I'm talking about something other than Justin Trudeau, I guess. But then this constant troll on the left who just hates anyone that's conservative is tweeting at me complaining, are you a lifestyle reporter now? I guess we can only just be in our lane and only talk about one thing ad nauseum. That actually is what drives me nuts about social media. The good part about social media is you can get to know the personality of somebody. I did hold back from tweeting about Notre Dame beating Henry Burris or Henry Burris's temple owls. I, I did hold back from that. I, I, I didn't want to bug Hank too much because we were trash talking each other last week. If you don't know, Henry Burris before he went into professional football was the quarterback for the Temple Owls. That was his uh, that was his alma mater. At one point held 20 different records there. Still holds many of them, but not all 20. He said they were gonna beat the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Instead, it was 40 48-16. Yeah, that song was heard a lot. Anyways, hoping that we can, we don't really have a fight song, but hoping hoping that we can cut a lot of um, uh, log cookies next time the Red Blacks play, because they are on a bit of a tear right now. They're doing well. Um, What's interesting is several of the teams that were doing badly at the beginning of the season are moving upwards, Hamilton not being one of them. They're at 0-8 still. Looks like it's sunshining out west where we're awaiting the, um, I believe, unless they're doing something on replay now uh, on TSN, it looks like they're getting ready for the uh, Calgary-Edmonton game. But Saskatchewan, which was a disaster again this year, they came back, they beat the Bombers yesterday, and they're moving up. By the way, they're second to last place in the west. They would be in first place in the east. So would the... Uh, oh, Stamps won So that's old stuff. See, I'm all confused by what TN show, TSN is showing right now. So thirty nine eighteen for the Stampeders. Okay, good for them. Um, I'm just confused by what TSN is showing because I turn and I expect to see the Hamilton game on. Like I said, if you are a Red Blacks fan, you should be cheering for Hamilton. We'll get back to politics when we come back. But, of course, if you want to call in with crazy stories about uh, – Car fixes like wooden windows. What is this? George Washington and his wooden teeth. You're going to have a wooden window in your car now? You can't see through it. That's bad for a shoulder check. And that's a real blind spot. If you've got something like that, you can call in when we come back as well. 521 talk, 521 8255 star 580 on Bell Mobility. I've missed y'all. I've missed y'all. Have you missed the B Lil? Well, I'm back.
3: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: So, there's a festival that takes place in Nevada called Burning Man, and this weekend, a 41 year old man died at it by burning. I'm not making a joke here. This is a festival that is for people that find Coachella just too lame, not cool enough. And if, if you're not hip enough to know what Coachella is, you probably don't know much about Burning Man. But to give you an idea of the size and scope, 70,000 people go to a point in the desert for this four-day bizarre art and music festival. A lot of electronic dance music, a lot of experimental art. 70,000 people, but they go to a point where there's no infrastructure and they set up a a, a city for four days and then they take it all down and they apparently say they leave no trace behind and then they do it again the next year and it's always over the Labor Day weekend. But one of the highlights is on Saturday, on the evening of the Saturday, they've got a giant effigy built of wood, of a man. Arms stretched up, legs stretched out. And they set it on fire, and everyone dances around it and parties, and it's wild, and it's groovy, man, if that's a saying. Again, I don't know. I'm just not cool enough for Burning Man. In the middle of this, and and around the giant effigy, and it is huge, it's massive, around the effigy they have Uh, security. People are holding hands, locking arms in a circle around the giant effigy to keep people from getting too close. 41-year-old man named Aaron Joel Mitchell decided he was going to break through two levels of security guards protecting the area where the man was burning Saturday night. Fire personnel attempted to pull him out of the falling portions of the burning structure Uh, But the falling portions hindered their efforts. Rescuers had to wait until the structure fell before they could go back into the flames and safely extract him from the debris. He was airlifted to the nearest burn center at UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento, California. He was pronounced dead at the hospital on Sunday morning, according to the sheriff's office. I think you've got to be hopped up on something pretty intense for you to go running into a giant burning Structure without being a fireman. This guy was probably not wearing much. I'm looking at photos on social media. Folks are not wearing much at this thing. This takes place about 120 miles north of Reno, Nevada, in the Black Rock Desert. Freaky. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I know I've put a lot out there today, but let me... um, Let me throw a couple of issues out there. I'm going to tie in David Hurley in this fight that Justin Trudeau's having with the small business community. David Hurley used to be a federal liberal. He still is a federal liberal, but he used to be Paul Martin's right-hand guy. He was the one that uh, was going to bring about the juggernaut. Paul Martin was going to win the largest majority in Canadian political history, man. Nope, that's still Brian Mulroney, and after him, it's uh, Baker. So, Paul Martin was supposed to win that. David Hurley um, ran such a good campaign, it didn't happen. He's now in charge of the Ontario Liberal campaign. We know of $2.7 million that he's been paid out through public coffers due to contracts he gets from the Ontario Liberal government, including just shy of $900,000 for the Premier's office. A huge chunk of a, uh, another million comes from caucus services, which is the, the Liberal caucus pays him using taxpayers' funds. He's had huge amounts from other contracts, including $400,000 from finance. He bills Ontario Power Generation to be a consultant at $420 an hour. This and now he's he's back in the news again because of the story last week is his polling firm did a poll or a series of polls, monthly polls paid for by you for Kathleen Wynn to tell her that, well, you're not all that popular. But all these all these new social programs you keep putting out there, people love those. They love your policies. They just don't like you. So David Hurley is the man that's going to be selling us on the fair hydro plan the fair wage plan the fair this plan the fair that plan he bills Ontario Power generation 420 bucks an hour to impart his wisdom what's he what's he telling them how to lower hydro rates don't pay consultants 420 bucks an hour I guarantee you he's not worth it. The guy's making millions from you. He is living off the fruits of your labor, the tax dollars that the government extracts from your paycheck and then turns around and hands to their campaign manager. Because it's all about who you know with the liberals, isn't it? Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau is going after small businesses and saying, well, if you're paying your your spouse $50,000. Well, that's too much. Oh no, you can't be. Uh, that's income sprinkling. You're just trying to lower your tax rate. Never mind that your spouse might be doing an awful lot of the work in the small business that you run together. They'll go after someone making $50,000, but David Hurley making millions. That's fine. That's fine. Millions off of taxpayers to tell the government, how they're doing with polling and commissioned research services. And then he can turn around and tell us what's fair, $15 an hour minimum wage, rent control, all of these socialist policies. He's definitely a socialist, you can tell. Are you sick and tired of these silver spooned champagne socialist liberals? Because they really have gone very far left on several things. Are you sick of these champagne champagne liberal socialists telling us how we should all run our own affairs? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. And then the other thing I'll throw out at you is, what do you think of Donald Trump actually listening to Justin Trudeau? Uh, Your labor laws should be like us. Make your labor laws like us. Do you think he's going to listen? Something tells me that ain't going to fly with Trumpmeister. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Back in moments.
3: This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA.
7: But that
1: train keeps rolling. I promise not to sing every time. Your next chance to win, uh, and while next chance to qualify for the ultimate Super Sans fan season seat giveaway. Is it 9.35? That is uh, well, less than 20 minutes away. Uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Toronto Argos are about to go back out on the field. The rain has stopped. The lightning no longer a threat. Frank and Greeley, you hey, were calling in doing? about uh, about hey, the game? Yep. Oski, wee-wee. Oski, wee-wee. Uh,
0: we're going for Hamilton. Well, you know that by now.
1: Well, everyone in Ottawa should be going for Hamilton. Well, so, uh,
0: Well, I'm a true Hamilton fan, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, no, you better believe it.
1: The, the, okay. the game was delayed. They're going back out at nine thirty. They're going to warm up for ten minutes and ah. start.
0: No, it would be nice to see Hamilton win this one. You know, like we remember guys like Joe Zuger, Garney Henley, Angelo Mosca, and uh, you know, uh, you know, all these boys. They're all together. Yeah, those uh, good old days.
1: Uh, Tom Clemens. Back with this, Tom know? Clemens is a, a the type of guy that played both uh, Ottawa. There were a lot of guys played Tom. Ottawa and Hamilton.
0: You know, I remember like some grey cups there, uh, Brian. Like where they they were playing in the snow, half a foot of snow.
1: Yeah, well, and it's
0: not even uh, you know, it's not uh, you know, artificial turf, you're right on the grass. You know,
1: oh, I wild remember times.
0: Ronnie Lancaster and. No Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and, uh, you know, they're playing right on, the, right on the grass, you know. He
1: was a great quarterback for them, but he that was right. a great coach for the Thai Cats. That's right. All right.
0: Uh, thanks right for the call, way, Frank. Hey, look, let's go for
9: Hamilton here.
1: All right. Talk hey, to you hey, soon, mate. All yeah, right. All right. Let's go to uh, Gordon in Ottawa. Gordon, you're on Beyond Hi, the News.
9: Hi, Brian. Hi. I mean, I'm glad Frank called in because I have a funny story I was at. Royal Oak, the new one in Edinburgh. Yeah. And uh, you know how you get talking with the barkeep? Mm-hmm. He said, he said, he was from Greeley. I says, you know, Frank from Greeley? He goes, no, I don't know Frank from
1: Greeley.
9: <laughs> 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 I guess he gets asked that a lot. But, the most um, famous
1: resident of Greeley.
9: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, I wanted to call about the Burning Man. Yeah. I've seen quite a bit of, uh, footage on this. And, uh, like, And I know a guy in Ottawa that goes to that. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if I can say this, but it's a perverts festival.
1: That seems to be part of it. Um, well, can
9: I explain to you what this guy did one year? As long as you he's don't married, identify him? Yeah. He's a married man, right? Mm-hmm. And he's modeling his youth, or what he's going to wear for Burning Man. And he's got this short skirt on. He wants to go as little Bo Peep. He's got the stuff. I saw
1: saw a woman with uh, barely anything on her backside getting branded like a cow on a social media post. I just did a hashtag search, and, whoa, this ain't safe for work. No. But it's a bizarre festival, and here's why it's also bizarre, is you look at what they put up as their principles, radical inclusion, decommodification – uh, radical self expression communal effort these are all their um, principles gordon and, and now you look at who 's going it costs four hundred and twenty five bucks to get in plus eighty bucks for a vehicle pass you 've got all these celebrities and models and kardashian types there a bunch of uh victoria secret models posting a, a, about being there a bunch of the the people that are just famous for being famous being there what does that what does the price or the, these folks have anything to do with these so-called principles.
9: You know what it's like, Brian, also? It's like a week-long gay pride parade.
1: Well, it, it sure, there that. seems to be an awful lot of uh, heterosexuality on the go there as well. Just an awful lot of sexuality. Let's put it that way.
9: <laughs> well, I, like I said, it's...
1: And, and I'm but guessing... Act
9: like there's some deep meaning to this mystical I'm, thing. It is. It's also hilariously... Stupid.
1: I am thinking an awful lot of drugs if you're going to run into a burning oh, lots effigy. of that, too. Yep. Thanks for the call, Gordon. welcome. Let's go to Dave in Ottawa. Dave, you're on Beyond the News.
10: Before I get serious, and I do want to get serious, um, good news, well, uh, my, my snake's reading, including the little baby boy. Oh, good. Um, uh, about Trump taking uh, Trudeau very seriously, uh, you know why Trump would call his elbow his funny bone?
1: Why? <laughs> From
10: laughing up his sleeve at Trudeau.
1: Oh, Oh, but I'm bummed.
10: Anyway, let's get serious. I was talking to Michelle uh, one morning last week after I was on talking to Rob. Or when he was talking to you. Yeah, you were talking to me last week. Yeah, and I was talking to Michelle phoned me afterwards anyway. um, I told her I'm kind of a bit of a prophet on this. I mentioned that that the the Black Lives Matter had some demands at the Pride Parade. They they weren't uh, announced or anything yet. But I do know what two of them were. What? One of them was that they to be included immediately in that parade. They went there with all the people they needed, about 30, 35, or 40 people, complete with banners and everything else, ready to march in the parade. And they were not listed as uh, participants in the parade.
1: Yeah, you, you have to be an official participant in that any would, parade.
10: Well, I wasn't official, but I uh, did my thing anyway. I, like I said, I paraded right in front of the Black Lives Matter with my sign. But anyway, the other demand was, or one of the other demands that that I do know of, is that they were protesting against the fact that there were on duty police officers in uniform.
1: Uh should they be wearing their golf shirts like the chief?
10: They were on duty. Of course they'd be in uniform. They were manning traffic. They were manning uh, security barricades and so on. They were there in uniform because they were on duty. The off-duty ones uh, dispensed with the uniforms, and I think they should not have. Now, I'm going to carry this further. I am going to be like I told Michelle I would be. I'm going to be the kind of a prophet, the Old Testament, nutty prophet who is screaming and shouting and all full of whiskers and wearing animal furs and snakes around his neck and the whole nine yards.
1: Oh, that, that describes you.
10: It does. It does. And I wasn't dressed like a gentleman's quarterly either. Uh, but here is the deal. The next thing we hear from uh, all uh, Black Lives Matter is that they want police resource officers out of schools. They've done it in the Toronto separate school district. Yeah. And, and and a, if you
1: remember why they were put into schools in Toronto, it was because of the shooting of a young man.
10: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe it was Jordan Manners. Yeah, that's the name. Yeah, he uh, they the community came together and said, okay, we need police officers in the schools. They're doing wonderful
10: work in the schools. They're they're being role models. They're making friends with the kids. They're talking to the kids. They're they're looking after it. They're encouraging after-school activities. They're doing all kinds of things that are good and helpful and wholesome to the kids. Why would Black Lives Matter want that to stop just because they're policemen? So here's the thing. Black Lives Matter got the police out of uniform for this parade. Do you think for one minute... The next day they're going to say, okay, boys, you had your time out. You can put your own uniforms back on again. Not a chance on your life. So what's next push- then? and push and push. They're going to make more demands. They're going to get policemen out of schools across the rest of the province if they can. They'll move from Toronto down to here on to Ottawa. They'll move to London where policemen are in schools. They're going to make more demands. There won't be any uh, authorized policemen in uniform on duty next year if they can help it. And gosh, knows about other demands. I'd say, wake up. Put your foot down. This is my prophecy because these prophets, they screamed and said, open your eyes and look. Look around you and see. That's what these prophets did, and that's what I'm saying. Look around you and see. Put your foot down, or these guys are going to take charge. They're going to be in control. It'll be the tail wagging the dog, and you prove me wrong next year.
1: Uh, you just described my job, Dave, and I, I didn't realize until now that I've been a prophet for the last several years and not just a talk show. In a show, sense, t- in a
10: sense, you <laughs> are. You're, you're, you're reading the signs, you're bringing to the people and holding them and saying, here, look at this. That's what some of these Old Testament prophets did.
1: Here's what's going to happen. Oh, no, 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 that'll never happen. Then it does.
10: And it's and not prophets like reading Teeleys or looking at a crystal ball, it's looking at the signs of what's going on around us and saying, open your eyes, people. And that's what I'm saying. Open your eyes. It's just the beginning. And if we don't put our foot down, we release them by default, and we've got to put our foot down. now because if we don't, it won't take long. They're playing the race card. If you say anything against them, they'll put that race card down so you cross that line and you are a racist. And we don't want to be classified as racists. All right. And that's what they're doing. That's, how, that's their leverage.
1: Thanks for the call, Dave. You're welcome. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. We're back at night. It's a quiet night. It's the Labor Day weekend. Tomorrow things will really pick up.
3: In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: I hope you get here soon. Soon. I want to sing, sing,
1: sing. Thank you, Dang. I think that's what Henry Burris was saying on uh, Saturday afternoon when Temple got uh, blown out. Dang. Oh, absolutely. That's what he was saying. Uh, I tell you to call in now, but everyone's calling in for. The sense tickets. You want to qualify for the sense tickets? Now's your chance on that. Uh, but we are still talking about uh, politics, and in a moment, I'll let you know when it's clear to call again. Justin Trudeau is out there telling folks that, well, you know what, we just need to, um, we just need to look at things in a different sort of way when it comes to how we we tax small
2: business, because it's just not fair right now. I will make no apologies for this approach. It's what Canadians expect of us when we say we're going to grow the middle class and help those working hard to join it. At the same time, we're in a consultation period on hearing feedback from Canadians that want to make sure that this does help the middle class, uh, and that's what we're very much focused on. And he also
1: wants to make sure that those that are well-off Pay more. They already pay the overwhelming majority of the taxes. And I've been through these numbers with you before. It is bizarre that he thinks he's got to restructure the tax system, other than this is a man who hates the fact that he's wealthy, hates the fact that he and his father never had to work. They haven't had to work since his grandfather's generation because of all the money he made. So like Bill Morneau, who's another Silver spoon in the mouth, trust fund baby. They're going around sticking the screws to small business in this country. They just want us all to be serfs. They don't want us to be able to get up and look after ourselves. 521 Talk, 521, in a minute. Guy, the Capital Voice, you're on Beyond the News. Did I hit the wrong line? All right. Yeah, I did. There we go. Guy, you're on Beyond the News now.
11: Great to see that uh, the CFRA family has finally included you in prizes. You don't have to give away half-eaten Steve Bailey fruit cups anymore. That's really good to see.
1: Uh, this is one that I've been uh, part of uh, every year, so it's uh, it's good to be back on it. But it does uh, eat up the LZ phone lines busy. here.
11: Keeps LZ busy, doesn't it?
1: It does. He He's yeah. working the phone lines right now.
11: Yeah. Um, I, I, thought, I wanted to uh, just point out a couple of blinding hypocrisies that – were relevant in the past week, week and a half since I've been last on. And, you know, it was interesting to see uh, Little Tater, Justin Trudeau, our Prime Minister, marching directly behind the EFTO folks, the school folks, and the Ottawa District School Board folks at the Pride Parade last Sunday. It was quite an event to behold, Brian. Oh, is that That he was was marching
1: right behind the Elementary Teachers Federation?
11: And then the next day... He comes out and denounces the emotion about the Sir John A. thing. So that was my blinding hypocrisy for the uh, for the pride parade that he you know stoked up behind the labor groups and it was just a beautiful event, Brian. The unicorns were out, the rainbows were flying. It was quite something. But I've just found it quite hip- hypocr- you know, hypocritical that he would then uh, denounce the same teachers that he m- m- marched behind the day before. Uh, The other thing was, I don't know if anybody heard it today on Rob Snow, I died laughing for about a half an hour when Smokey Thomas was on about uh, 12, 12.30. He said, after 15 years of wins austerity, we deserve (laughs) Labour peace," And I started laughing. Rob let him go. I think Rob gulped. I heard a gulp in the background. Rob was just kind of, I think his vein in the side of his head was popping out or something after that one. But, yeah, that was my classic quote from Smokey Thomas today. After 15 years of this win austerity, we
1: deserve some
11: labor oh, peace. Oh,
1: man.
11: Oh, that was a classic. I thought, we,
1: I thought that's why all the wages were going up. We were buying labor peace for all these years.
11: <laughs> if this was austerity, I'd hate to see what actual... I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, as John definitely. Robson
1: uh, pointed out last Friday when I was chatting with him, he said people complain about Stephen Harper slashing and he, he grew government by 40%. This is something that yeah. that I've pointed out myself. We just have no clue what our governments are doing. Well,
11: I can't understand what the end game is. I read the numbers on Bill Morneau's tax restructuring and when with with all this, you know, they want to start telling you what your wife can earn as an accountant and everything else. It's only going to bring in $750 million. No, no,
1: 250 million
11: oh, I heard up to 700, so it's only going to bring in a quarter billion dollars, and he's giving away all this money, UN funding all over the world, and he's, this is political suicide for him.
1: Well, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a mixed minds guy. I Have you wanna...
11: defined what the middle class is yet, Brian? He, he never did that in the, in, the, in the campaign. Is that the big shell game here? We haven't really defined what the middle class is or those working hard to, to, to join it. Maybe we're all well, going to join one class of people, the collective.
1: I have uh, I can tell you that I ran the numbers on his middle-class tax cut, and the average Canadian working full-time is someone that makes for about $48,000 a year. That person got about a $60 to $75 tax break from Justin Trudeau. All the other taxes that he's put on top of it have eaten that away.
11: This is only going to bring in $250 million of extra tax revenue, and it's going to disenfranchise every business owner because Revenue Canada can now come and dictate what your business practices are with regards to salary. I dispersion? really
1: thought that they were going wow. to walk away from this last week, and if you heard me on with Bill Carroll, and then I opened up the show Friday saying, mark my words, they're going to do it, yeah, I because I'd, I'd seen all the signs. Yeah, all the usual yeah. telltale signs were there. And then Trudeau went to Saskatoon and opened his big mouth, and wow, I just, I couldn't believe it.
11: Well, I love when he gets that hoity-toity tone in his voice, like Lord Farquaad of Shrek. Well, <laughs> this is what we're going to do, and this is the way we're going to do it, and there is nothing you can do. I got a good one for clothes for David. It's a little joke. Uh, okay, it's go off-handed go one. quick. What is the favorite breakfast cereal of Black Lives Matter? Don't know. Uh, it's Raisin Brain. You get two scoops of racism in every bowl.
1: Oh, boom. I don't even know if I got a rim shot for that one, Guy. Talk to you later. Take care, Brian. 521-TALK, 521-8255, five, 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 star 580 on Bell Mobility. Uh, you know, let's, let's listen in again on Justin Trudeau and, and what he was saying. This is him in Saskatoon last week. I thought he was going to back away. I thought he was going to say, you know what,
2: I've made a mistake, let's, let's fix this, but no. the Conservatives opposed our lowering of taxes on the middle class and raising them on the wealthiest 1%. They opposed us stopping to sending uh, child benefit checks to millionaires. And now they're opposed to us bringing in more tax fairness that's going to uh, help the middle class and those working hard to join it at the cost of uh, some of our most successful Canadians. I will make no apologies for this approach. It's what Canadians expect of us when we say we're going to grow the middle class and help those working hard to join it.
1: That does not sound like a man that is walking away from a policy that has the potential to do serious political harm. So I'm of two minds. I I don't want this to happen to the small business community. I do not. This will this will hurt small business. This will, harden my language, screw over a whole bunch of people that are looking to retire out of their small business and how they've planned to do it, how they've saved up the money inside the business, how they're going to draw it down. This has been lawful. It's been completely legal. It's been part of the system. They've done their retirement planning if... If I came in and tried to change how you could retire with a pension and, you know, just as you're about to get it, change all the rules, that would be completely unfair. So is this. But it looks like if they even do tweaks, they're going to be minor tweaks. I don't understand where this guy's coming from. 521 talk five two one eight two five five star 580 on Bell Mobility. Roseanne, or sorry, not Roseanne. Roxanne Poke in Canada qualified. Your next chance to qualify for the Ultimate Super Sens season. F- Let me start again. Your next chance to qualify for the Ultimate Super Sens fan season seats giveaway tomorrow morning, seven thirty-five on the Morning Rush. When did we stop calling them seasons tickets? Season seats. I don't get it. Back after this.
3: Insurgent? Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Just looking at a hilarious post uh, from the Daily Mail, and if you're a dog owner, you know, you've dealt with this, and it's a dog stuck behind a toilet staring at the wall, and the owner's coming in and saying, did you poop on the rug? And the dog is behind the toilet, so that he's staring directly at the wall, and refuses to look at the dog owner at, at the owner because if you've got a dog, you've seen this. Oh no, I didn't do anything wrong. If if I can't see you, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not caught. And then eventually, yeah, dogs ashamed of pooping on the uh, on the carpet. If you're a dog lover, then you might want to take this in. This coming Saturday, September 9th, you can put your best paw forward with the Wiggle, Waggle, Walk, and Run. Gather your family, co-workers, four-legged friends for the 2017 Wiggle, Waggle, Walk, and Run presented by Escape Manor at Lansdowne Park. You can register at ottawahumaneca slash walk, run, and register and raise funds for Ottawa's animals. That's ottawahumane.ca. The, um We were talking about it earlier. The Ticat game was delayed for... More than two hours due to the intense rain, but more importantly, the lightning. Just as they were coming back on, the Ticats tweeted out a photo showing what the weather was like. You know, the the radar weather maps, how intense it was. Right now in Ottawa, we're dealing with green. Uh, they were dealing with getting past the green colors into the yellows, the reds, into that. By the way, over the next few hours, we're gonna going to get whacked again when it comes to rain in this city because it's the summer of 2017. Of course we are. It's what we do. Just before I go back to, uh, to Trudeau and this fight with the business community that I just can't understand, just to, to wrap up on this issue of crazy cars, I saw the car with the piece of chipboard for a window. Ed tweeted, I don't know what it was, but once in Washington, D.C., Toyota Previa van covered in duct tape, all of it except the windows. And then I got an email. Who would the email come from again? It came from uh, David. David uh, sending in a link to an Ottawa citizen story about uh, do-it-yourself car repairs, and I'd forgotten about this one. A driver used wooden logs and chicken wire to reinforce his vehicle suspension. It was a 1999 Toyota Tercel. This was just earlier this year. It was in April of this year. And the MRC de Calen pulled this guy over in Valdemont and noticed that um, things weren't quite right. Gave a bit of an inspe- inspection. And there you go. So the liberals are out in Kelowna right now, the federal liberals. They're having their caucus retreat before parliament resumes in a couple of weeks. And there's lots of MPs that are saying, hey, I'm getting an earful. You got to change these small, small tax rules. Uh, we got to tweak them. We got to do something. I, I, I'm getting too many complaints. And then there are others that are saying, no way. This is the way to go. Francis Garpelegia from Montreal says mostly he's been hearing uh, about uh, the refugee issue, but also the second one is the, the change in small business tax cuts. But Liberal uh, MP Randeep Sarai says he's heard concerns about the uh, uh, bees and says they've got a tweet. But Winnipeg Liberal MP Robert Falcon Willette said uh, he's 100 percent on board with the government's plan. You can't have people sitting behind in their gated communities and saying, well, you know, let them eat cake. That's what the liberals think of small business owners. They think that they're going out there to tackle wealthy doctors. Not all doctors are wealthy, let me tell you. A lot of them have to spend uh, We've talked uh, with Dr. Barry Dworkin about this. They have to invest an awful lot of money in their practice to keep it running, to meet standards, to keep their income going. Are they paid well? Sure. But they also employ an awful lot of people. But the Liberals view everyone as... Super wealthy and living in gated communities. That's not my experience. And the average small business owner makes between sixty and $70,000 according, per year, according to the CFIB. In this town, that's barely a good bureaucrat's wage, is it? Perrin Beatty is the CEO, president and CEO of the canadian chamber of commerce and he's trying to warn the government they're trying to make this as if they're just going after the uber wealthy they're just going after big business bd says no that's not the case at all
5: they're looking to generate a quarter of a million dollars from the issue of of, uh, salaries that are paid Um, to do that they'll have to attack about a billion dollars worth of income you think that's only going to come from high income canadians
1: He also says what the government is doing is simply not fair. If you look at the
5: average small business in Canada, government figures show that about two thirds of small businesses have earn less than seventy three thousand dollars a year, and half of those earn less than thirty three thousand. Now, assume you open up a variety store, and you have to put your own money into the business. You're working seven days a week. You have no vacation, no paid vacation time. You have no retirement pension uh, afterward. Families family's got to pitch in and help you out. To go after people like this is simply
1: unfair. And yet that's what Justin Trudeau and his liberals are doing. They dropped this, I believe the date was July 18th. Doldrums of summer. Not a whole lot of media coverage Yeah, I talked about it. Some others did. But not a whole lot of coverage, and of course, the original spin was they're just going after the uh, the super rich, and you know, people don't care about defending the super rich. You heard those numbers in there: two thirds earn below seventy-three thousand. Below, not seventy-three, below seventy-three. That is not a huge income, but they dropped this in the middle of summer. If these small business people are able to get away, they might be away. Or they're not paying as much uh, attention. They're at kids' soccer games at, at, uh, at night. Or they're still running their business. But they brought it in in the middle of July and then said 75 days of online consultation only. We're very concerned about
5: it, and particularly concerned because of the timing of it. They dropped this on Canadians in the middle of July to give 75 days for consultations. This expires on the 2nd of October. Uh, Farmers were out in the field uh, in their tractors. Small business people weren't spending time reading tax bulletins. This is not a genuine consultation. It's a stealth attack.
1: Stealth attack is the best way to put it. But Justin Trudeau doesn't see it that way. He sees this as the right thing to do. And a man that's never run a small business, never met payroll in his life, never had to worry about his financial future, is convinced of his moral clarity that he's doing the right thing.
2: The very first thing we did was raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% in this country so we could lower them for the middle class. Then we moved forward with a new Canada Child Benefit, one that gives more money to 9 out of 10 Canadian families every month, tax-free, to help with the cost of raising their kids.
1: Justin Trudeau's convinced that the small business people are the folks they would raise taxes on at the beginning. He's convinced they're one and the same, and he's determined to make them pay more. And this from a man who, from the time he left school, he had a backstop. I can't remember the exact numbers, but his trust fund paid out in chunks per year, depending on his age, and they increased with age. He has his full trust fund now, but his father set up a trust fund for him. And so in his early years, he might only be getting 20000 25000 But, you know, let me tell you, back in the 90s, if you were making twenty, twenty-five thousand 25000 in your student or immediately post-student days, you could do all right. You could have a, an okay life comparable to your friends. You had a job on top of that. You can take whatever job you want at this point. You're doing well. That's Justin Trudeau's experience. He has no clue how the other half lives, the other half, the other 99% live. But he's going to attack the small business community as if they're him, as if they are the 1%. If he doesn't back off on this, he's going to get a backlash like you wouldn't believe. I'm Brian Lilly. That wraps the show for tonight. Thanks for listening. Make sure that you share uh, my tweets on the, the Twitter machine and share my post on Facebook. Back at it again tomorrow night. Until then, remember... I'm on your side.